chapter 15. I do want to remind you, and we'll have another reminder at the end of the service, next Sunday is Back to Church Sunday, and uh, we're going to have a special lunch right following the uh, service. I do want to remind you, uh, ladies or fellas, if you'd like, if you'd like to sign up to bring uh, either a potato salad or a macaroni salad, uh, please sign up right after church so we know what we've got coming, and uh, that will be on the foyer. So sign your name and then what you're bringing as far as a food item. Uh, we're going to have smoked pulled pork that day, and uh, so that'll be a special lunch for us. We'll do all of the main dish, and then if you can bring uh, the sides, that would be a blessing. And uh, am I missing anything, honey? Is it a dessert also or just sides? Just sides. Oh, okay, potato salad or dessert or... If you got a hankering, you can do both. And uh, so, Mike, you can do both. Uh, you just bring a potato salad. I don't want that. Okay, I don't want his potato salad or dessert. All right. Uh, so I'll, I'll trust you. I'll take your wife's word for it as well. <laughs> uh, so that'll be next Sunday right after service. So bring somebody. I want to encourage you this week to find somebody that you know and invite them. If there's something that our world needs today, every neighborhood, every house, it's hope. And I'm going to be preaching a message Hope for the weary that Sunday and the next three Sundays to follow will be all on that matter of hope and the hope that not only we have in Christ, but the hope that all of us have uh, as we have in Christ to the people who need it the most. And don't let the devil tell you that that whoever the Lord is laying on your heart, they won't listen. That's not true. There's a reason the Holy Spirit lays people on our heart. And uh, we need to just follow that leading and say, Lord, this is what you've asked me to do. So I want to obey. And that's what we're going to talk about today obedience is better. How many got an outline when you came in? How many still need one, maybe? You still need an outline? You didn't get one on the way in? Don't have an outline? You'd like to have one? All right, right here. There's just You're all out? Okay, so we need to print just a few more, Miss Naomi, next time. And uh, whatever you did, just, yeah. Oh, we have a couple right here. Now, Michael, can you get one back? Scott's got an extra. If you need one, raise your hand real quick. We can get them to you. Awesome. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let's follow along as I read. I really, 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 really wanted to speak and, and, and read the entire chapter. But for time's sake, uh, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but we are going to look at this chapter. This is a pivotal chapter in Saul's life. And uh, it, it is an incredible, incredible uh, just uh, uh, lesson in this entire chapter. And so as we read it, I hope to be a blessing. I want the Lord to speak to all of us. Notice, if you will, in First in Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, who is the king, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, uh, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of, of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. By the way, God never forgets. He knows everything and he never forgets anything. I remember what he did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them into Laam, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. Saul said unto the Kenites, go depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Malachites, smart people. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah, or Havilah, even unto thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. Now at this point, everything looks good. At this point, Saul is seemingly, if there was no more text, you'd say, huh, well, Saul finally did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
everything that God told him to do, he did. But then there's verses 8 through the rest of the chapter. Notice what it says in verse 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites. What's the next word? What is it? Now, wait a minute. Did God say to keep the king alive? Did he? It's not a trick question. (laughs) All right. So the word all, apparently in the Bible, means all. Okay. So the Bible says that he took Agag, the, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag. And then, oh, look, there's an and. Now, I'm not an English major, and I don't declare that I would ever speak all the time, always right. But I do know that whatever follows a conjunction is linked to whatever was previous. And so it says, and, notice what else they spared. The best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, And, oh, here's another all. And all that was, what's the next word? Good. And would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Heavenly Father, we again appeal to you as the God of heaven. And we want to say thank you again for your word today. And as you have inspired it, we pray that you would use it, Lord, today in our lives to inspire us to do that which is right all the way. In the sight of the Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us. I pray that you'd use me today as a vessel. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you just help me to get out of your way and that your Holy Spirit would fill me and that you would, uh, Lord, that you would use your word in our life. We pray that you give us understanding again as your people. And then, Lord, you'd give us wisdom as we leave here to take it, hide it in our heart and to rightly apply it. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. The story of the first king of Israel had the potential to be a spectacular had to be uh, the potential to be spectacular in spite of failure. If it, it had all the makings really of a successful comeback story, righteous king fails uh, but rises up again. It could have been like that. Uh, but when we last left King Saul, he wasn't doing too hot. And yet God here says, look, I, I still want to use you, which tells you that even when you fail, that God may not ever be able to use you in the full, complete measure of his righteous will, but he at least can still use you. Amen. The fact is, God still had a special purpose for Saul, and he wanted him so badly to succeed. At the end of 1 Samuel chapter 12, way back several chapters ago, God, Israel, and their king pressed the reset button on their relationship, and that stayed good for roughly two years. In that second year, however, while Saul's son, Jonathan, his faith was developing, his father, King Saul, his faith was declining. Tragically, when your faith in God decreases, faith in yourself increases. And when that happens, normally it's very dangerous and doesn't turn out very well. All of chapter 15 is about one thing, total obedience to God. And if you only had one chapter of the Bible, if this was the only one that you had and you decided to take it and in your mind say, well, what does God really uh, think about obedience? Does he take it very seriously or not? You would walk away from this chapter and say, oh, God takes obedience very, very seriously. And we learn that because of how God speaks both of obedience and disobedience in the chapter. Notice down, if you will, in verse 22, in verse 22, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is what? Is better. 
To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken is the fat of rams. Now, he just spoke about obedience. He said, listen, you can go through the rudimentary and the, 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 um, the steps, if you will, the outward appearance of religion, but here's what I want you to know is better. It's just obeying. It's having a heart for obedience. So he speaks about obedience is better than to sacrifice and to hearken rather than the fat of rams. But notice what it says in verse 23, which is how he speaks about disobedience. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Whoa. I don't know about you, but that's pretty heavy. That's a big word. Witchcraft. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Notice what it says. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He also hath rejected thee from being king. The word witchcraft, they tell me, has to do with divination. In other words, without speaking anything into it, if I just take that word divination and understand that the, the root, the root uh, uh, forms of that word have to do with divination and drugs. And if I would, if God sees my disobedience as trying to divine through demonic forces a different way of living, that's pretty heavy. That's even heavier than just the word witchcraft. God says, here's what I say about obedience. Here's my opinion of it as a holy God, as a loving and a long-suffering God. Saul, you know how I've treated you. Israel, you know your history is nothing but me and you and love and long-suffering. But here's how I've seen your stubbornness. It's as iniquity and idolatry. I mean, all of those words together tell us that God takes obedience and disobedience very seriously. As followers of Jesus Christ, we understand both the urgency and the complete fulfillment of obedience by the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself, and he, has, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. Listen, for I do always those things that please him. I mean, that seemed to be Jesus, his benchmark. If it doesn't please God, I'm not doing it. If it does please God, I'm going to do it. Why? Because I know what he thinks about disobedience. I know what he thinks about rebellion. Jesus followed up and said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. And he said again in John chapter 5 and verse 30, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. The Philippians chapter 2 in the great kenosis passage in verse 8 speaks of Jesus' heart and character in his life when it says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, Scripture reveals that obedience to God is important to him. But is it really important to us? Is taking the word of the Lord as it is in truth and following through all the way, is it as important to us as it is to the Lord? I've had the blessing of being the father of five children, and I can tell you that their obedience has always been more important to me than it has been to them. <laughs> it's always been more important to me than it has been to them. But if you're a parent, you know that true joy and peace and love come into the home when obedience is important to everyone involved. It's always, always better to obey, isn't it? We teach that to our children. With that, I want us to take a look at our story this morning, and I want to uncover the sad but powerful truths about Saul's disobedience and really how it relates to ours. So if you have your outline and you care to follow along, number one, I want you to remember, especially the last verse that we just read in verse 24, number one, 
God's word is rejected. How did Saul go from being chosen of God, used of God, really forgiven and pardoned of God, given everything that he needed to have to succeed, but then now to be told, listen, your stubbornness is as, is as iniquity. Your, your, your rebellion against my word is witchcraft. And it comes from rejecting God's word. Verse 24, the Bible says, thou hast rejected the word of the, I'm sorry, in, uh, I think it's verse, yes, the word of the Lord, verse 23. That was rejected the word of the Lord. Now, this isn't the first time that this ever comes up. We hear it over and over in the Bible, Proverbs 19, verse 20. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in the latter end. God over and over says, listen, I don't speak just for the sake of speaking. I'm speaking with the hope of instructing you that you would learn. Again, in Proverbs 4, and verse 13, take fast hold of instruction, let her not go. Keep her for she is thy life. Psalm 138 and verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast, listen, magnified thy word above thy name. Now that tells us again how important not just obedience is, but the source of that is the importance of God's word, which is above his name. Now we just spent three songs talking about how wonderful and majestic and sweet the name of Jesus is. And as far as Christians go, as believers in Christ, we would say, no, no, there's really no other hallowed name more than Jesus. It's not a cuss word. It's not a byword. It's not a parenthetical statement. It is the name of God, Jesus Christ, the Almighty, the Counselor, the Wonderful Prince of Peace, all of that. We would say, no, there's no sweeter name. And yet God says, wait a minute, there's something more important than that name. It is all that I have said. It is my word. Now, at the beginning of the chapter, we learn that God has a special plan for Saul. He says, listen, I've chosen you of all the people that I could choose, Saul. I chose you to fulfill a promise that I made to Israel about the Amalekites and the way they, the way they treated my children. And I said that they were going to be annihilated. And I said their nation was going to go away. And I said I was going to carry it out. And I want you to be the guy. I want you to be the guy that fulfills my promise to this world concerning this evil, wicked people called the Amalekites. And God gave very specific instructions, didn't he? It was very clear. He said to destroy all the enemy, don't leave one thing alive. And then we look and we go, dude, you just wanted the best for yourself. And we'll learn later on why. You just wanted the best for yourself. You didn't obey God at all. You know, God's given us very clear instructions about a lot of things in our life. Hasn't he? He's been very clear. In fact, he's given us clear instructions, especially about the enemy of our flesh. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. The first and foremost enemy of every Christian is the old nature. And the Bible says to crucify all of it. The Bible tells us that if we're going to live and please God in the in the spirit that were to mortify the deeds, all of them, of the flesh. And put off the old man, all of them. Have we really destroyed all of him, though? Was well, there still some of, some of our old nature that's still alive? You know, the old nature when we got saved that was warring against the spirit? Yeah, 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 okay, just give your heart to Christ, but look, leave your life that you really like alone. The parts that are really beneficial to your ego, the parts that really feel good, the parts that make you look good in the world, leave those intact and just take care of these things. 
Isn't it interesting? God's very clear, and yet sometimes we keep what we think is the best for ourselves. Lord, I know this is what you want totally, but, man, to be honest, I only got about 80% here. The the 20% that I still enjoy, I'd kind of like to hold on to. The the 20% of my old nature, maybe it's not 20%, maybe it's 10%. Maybe it's 5%. Lord, I'm just going to hold on to this. You know, I've really not been able to get ever really over this in my life. This bitterness, this idol, this strife, this anger, this neighbor, this boss. I, 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 if it's all the same to you, by the way, we know it's not. And yet, we understand Saul. The Bible says that Saul only killed that which was despised and worthless. That's the words there. The things that are refuse. The things that are worthless. The things that didn't matter to him. The things that they couldn't do. Any, the things that didn't have any value. Well, we'll get rid of those things because they really don't matter. You see, the crazy thing about disobedience is it is the rejection of God's word. And scripture reveals that. Again, in verse 26, Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king. It's so important that God brought it up twice in one chapter. Where did Saul get to the point where he was going to be now for the rest of his life is going to spiral out of bounds? It starts by saying, no, I know this is what you've said. I know this is how clear you are, but I'm rejecting it. God's word is rejected. Secondly, God's will is refused. God's will is refused. As we continue to read the passage, we come to understand not only the importance of obeying every impulse of God, but also what to do or not to do, listen, when we do blow it. Now, look, we we could all sit here today and say, okay, look, and I'm, I'm fairly certain that nobody in here is perfect. I'm fairly certain that there are areas in all of our lives that we can still surrender all. Okay. Now, I don't want us to change the song and say, I surrender some, I surrender some. Some to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender some. I still think it says all. I think that's God's intention. But the idea is, okay, so fine. We come here, we're marred. The intention of this, of this message is not to make us feel bad, but it's to see, okay, if I have not surrendered or if I am currently rejecting God's word as it pertains to, and you fill in the blank. If that's the case, what is God's will for me? Listen, now. Because even though I may not have been living in the will of God, today, by the grace and mercy of God, I can be. Amen. The fact of the matter is, God never gives up on us as long as we're still alive. So what's God's will now? Well, God's will is refused. As we continue to read, he didn't want Saul to blow it, but he did blow it. And what happens? What are we supposed to do or not do when we do? How many... How many have ever blown it with God? Let's just be honest. Let's do a little support group. How many have ever blown it with God? Raise your hand if you've ever blown it with God. Anybody? There's several of you that haven't. Man, I want to get to your your house. How many have blown it with God? Okay. How many have ever blown it big time with God? Raise your hand. I have blown it big time. I admit it. I confess. I've blown it. Some of you are like, yeah, okay, yeah, no, here's my hand. <laughs> All right. How many have learned from that experience that obedience is important to God? Oh, yeah. Doesn't God have a way of teaching us? When we won't learn, he does, doesn't he? Look, Saul, if you won't listen to the word, 
if you won't listen to the reasoning, as Isaiah said, let us come together and reason together, say the Lord, it, then I want, I'm going to unfortunately have to teach you by experience. I love you so much, I'm just not going to let you get away with it. Um, we could count several examples in the Bible, uh, like Moses. Moses, here's some instructions. Speak to the rock. I know what you did before. I'm God. I know that you smote it. This time, I want you to sanctify me in the eyes of the people. Just speak to it. All the way up there, he kept grinding the gears against the children of Israel. All the way up there. And we got up there. He started taking it out on them before he even did anything. And the next thing you know, whap! And God didn't say, oh, that's okay. God said, no, I love you so much and I love these people so much. But unfortunately, now you don't get to go into the promised land. Now, that's pretty heavy. Moses has been with these crybabies for a long time. And now he doesn't even get to go. That's unbelievable. Here's what I do know about God. He is just in everything that he does. The Bible says that he is just and holy in all of his works. So I never have to worry about God being unfair. God says to Saul, okay, you blew it. But now I'm expecting something. So let's just go through a little process here. First of all, what did God want? Letter A, he wanted obedience. That's what he wants for all of us. God wanted obedience. And he wants it from us. So he provided an example of not only what obedience looks like, but the foundation of it. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, speaking of Jesus Christ, though he were a son, the Bible says, as being equally divine with God, listen, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author, listen, of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. So the word learn there means to learn, listen, with a moral bearing of responsibility. You could tie it into Hebrews 12 and verse three, or verse 2, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. And then it says, let us consider him. Now, the fact of the matter is, he knew the joy of one thing. I want to obey God. And I can see the joy that's going to come from my obedience in fulfilling all, not some, of God's will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So the Bible says that Jesus took on the moral bearing of responsibility and knew, if I'm going to please God, if the best moral a result is going to come out of this. I have to learn obedience. I'm going to obey. It's going to cost me my life. I'm going to have to become sin who knew no sin in order for this to happen. But I'm willing to do it. Why? Because it's right in the eyes of God. To become related to him, the Bible would teach us, is to know him. And knowing him is to know his teaching and then to abide in it. If Jesus learned obedience by the death, of the cross, then so can we. We're supposed to take up the cross and deny ourselves every day in the same way. And obeying God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ was obedient to His will. That obedience brought forgiveness to you and to the world. It brought hope. It brought love and peace and joy. There is a great impact then when we are obedient to the will of the Father. Now think about that. If Saul is obedient, all that God wanted to bestow on him and Israel. And yet he decided, no, I I can do some, but I can't do all. I'm going to keep the sum for me, and the rest I'll give to you. God wanted obedience from Saul, 
But when he didn't get it, what did he look for? Secondly, God looked for repentance. But he didn't get that either. He looked for repentance. And you can see that in the passage. We're going to look here. You see, created into God's perfect will. Listen to me very carefully. Created into the perfect will of God is the plan that saves you and I from failure. Did you hear me? Created into the perfect plan of God from the foundation of the world was put into play the perfect plan for failure through his mercy. And if there's one thing that the human race has in common, it is this. When we fail, and we do, when we fail, we do a great job of doing two things, blaming other people and justifying ourselves. We're professionals. So how do you know that? How many have kids? You know, if you have children, they are professionals at blaming if you have more than one. And it's God's will that everybody have more than one. If you have more than one, then you know it's never them that did it. And if they did did it, there's a good reason why. I, I thought about doing it this week and last week. Actually, have you guys ever seen those videos? It, it, it's, it's like a children's temptation challenge. They put this kid in front of this camera and they put like a jelly bean or a piece of candy out there. And then the mom says, now don't eat it until I come back. Mom's got to go out of the room for a minute, but don't eat it. And what happens? They leave and the kid sits there and he's like in torment. He's like, and I've watched them. Some of them don't even wait. They're like, okay, I won't eat it. And they just put it in their mouth. Just don't, don't tempt me with candy. I just, I can't. And what is it? They come back, you ate it. I, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't say no. Others, if they're there with other ones, it's so funny. I've seen them with like two or three. They'll put all three candies out there. And inevitably, I don't know why, ladies, two boys and a girl, the little girl will be like, okay, see you later. Bump. And then the boys are like, she ate the candy. And then she's like, I'll take yours too. And I'll take yours too. Yeah, see, that's what I care about, obedience. It's hilarious to watch. And then they get back and it's all, but he and she and I and who and whatever. Nobody is to blame. That's exactly what Saul did. I, I want you to notice this in, in, in several aspects. Um, he, he did all of this. Look down at verse, uh, look at verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, it repented me. Now, we're not going to go there. I'll do that in a minute. Look at verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, blessed be thou of the Lord. <laughs> I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now look up here. Do you believe that for a second? But he did. Now think about that. What is it called? Tell me again, teenagers, what's it called again when you don't tell the truth? It's called a a what? A lie. Did Saul lie? Is that what God was looking for? Unbelievable. I have, blessed be thou in the name of the Lord. Wait a minute before you invoke that. I performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, okay, if that's the case, then why are these sheep bleeding in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, uh, uh, now what's he going to do? You can't get away from the sound of disobedience. It's already there. Um, notice they have brought them. This is hilarious. You, you can't write anything better than God writes. They have brought them from the Amalekites. Oh, now he's going to throw the rest of them under the bus for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. And it was to sacrifice to the Lord God. That's what they were doing. They were taking it because they wanted to sacrifice before the Lord and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So then here's what the man of God says. Look down. At, <laughs> this is like, this is getting better than this. 
Then Samuel said unto the Lord, stay unto Saul, stay. And I'm going to tell you what God says to me tonight. Now, look, Saul knows Samuel. And Samuel is a man of God. When God speaks, Samuel listens. And then he says, if I was Saul, I would have immediately started sweating. I'd have changed cloak after cloak. I wouldn't have slept all night long. I'd have been like, I'm, I'm dead meat. He's going to do something. It's going to be bad. Saul never, I never, every time I disobey God, it's going to be bad. I would have been, you know, you know, when you feel just like I'm caught and you know, like when the red light comes in your rearview mirror, come on, you guys know that, right? Or you're like, it's a red light. I'm going to go through. Boom. And you look over and there's the cop and you're like, ugh, and you pull over. That's the way he's feeling right now. I guarantee it. Now watch verse 19. Over, let's go to verse 18. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil? Now God is all re- he's revealing his heart. And didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And here, here it is again. Now he's already lied. Now here he is again. Saul said unto Samuel, uh, Samuel Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Look up here. You ever, you ever get those... You hear those people that have the cassette tapes, or they don't make those anymore now, they're CDs, or they have the podcast that says, you're a good person. You are a good person. And I'm, and you're supposed to say it. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. I'm an honorable person. And it's like he's listening to this all night long. And now he's trying to convince Samuel of what Samuel and God are both convinced not of. That I have obeyed. I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. And now notice, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of, of Amalek. Now, where did that come in? And have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil. Talk about a broken record. The sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, but I couldn't stop them, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Now, let me say this. Repentance is very important to God's will, according to the Bible. If obedience is important, repentance is equally important because God knows we will not always obey. Why? Because repentance is baked into the eternal plan of salvation of God. Knowing that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Knowing that we cannot get to heaven in and of ourselves. Knowing that when we're exposed to that truth... We get to choose. We get to say, I realize this is what God's want, what God wants. I didn't do what God wants, so I'm going to repent. And I'm going to do what God wants. God says, I want you to know this is important. Repentance is what makes the difference. Not only in salvation, but it also makes the difference in being able to continue after salvation. Matthew 4, 17, for that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of heaven is at hand. Acts 3, 19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, even when Peter failed and was going to fail, Jesus said this, knowing that Peter was going to deny him. Look, I have prayed for thee. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art, listen, converted, strengthen thy brethren. You see, God wanted obedience. And then afterward, what he was he looking for? Repentance. Why? Because there was rebellion in the heart of Saul. Because Saul was told very clearly what to do. And God said very clearly, 
what not to do. And now I'm very clear. Saul, I've called you on the carpet twice and twice you have tried to tell me that you've been obedient. Twice you've tried to tell me that the rest of it is other people's fault. Wait a minute. Who's the king here? Who's responsible for following through with the, with the word of God? It's you, Saul. It's you. And Samuel keeps coming back and hitting that note. And Saul is refusing. Why is that? Well, number three, because Saul's heart is hardened. And we see it very clearly. What's at the root of rejecting the word of God? What's at the root of refusing the will of God? It's a hard heart. What does that look like? Well, the Bible says in verse 17, And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight. See that? When thou wast little in thine own sight, Wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. What does that tell you? That Saul is no longer little. He's kind of a big deal. It was way back in 1 Samuel 9 and verse 21. Saul answered and said, this is Saul. Samuel says, look, God's got a plan for your life. They want a king. He says, fine, I'll give you a king. And God wants you to be that man. And God wants to use you, Saul. And here's Saul's reply, am not, I'm a, am not I a Benjamite? Listen, of the smallest tribes of Israel. And my family, what's my family? My, is my, my family the least of all of the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? You remember when you started out in the Christian life and you were really small and very needy of the Lord? And, and it seemed like every aspect of your life just needed a touch of God. And, and you desperately needed to trust him for that. And, and, and you were dependent upon God on that. That's where Saul was. And the Bible says by the time we get to chapter 15, after just two years of ruling, that littleness turned to too bigness. I, I wrote in my devotion Bible, Saul's too big for his britches. He outgrew humility. The Bible tells us that he was so full of himself at this point that he goes to Mount Carmel. The Bible uses the phrase to set him up a place. Literally, that means to set up a monument to commemorate himself in the victory over the Amalekites. Samuel goes to search for him. He said, hey, where is he? Well, he was here. Now he's gone down to Gilcal. What was he doing in Carmel? Oh, he was setting him up a place. Samuel's got to go down now. Leave it to the Holy Spirit to uncover the truth behind Saul's failure to obey the Lord. And by Scripture, really, to unveil the truth about us. The truth is this. When we reject God's word, it is because of our ability to function, to maintain, and to progress without God. At least that's what we think, huh? Think I got this. I've been doing this long enough. I don't, I don't need to. I don't need to pray like I used to pray. What I, I don't need to seek your. I read it. How many times have I talked to people, witnessed to people, and they go, "Oh yeah, I read the Bible, once." And I always say the same thing. Really? That is awesome. I said I keep. I've read it like twenty-two times, and I can't get enough. I still don't know it all. And they kind of go. Remember that? Remember when you so needed desperately to know God's heart on a matter and you just searched the scriptures? And you'd say, God, I'm about to open your holy word. 
which is elevated above your name. And I need you so desperately to show me what the Bible says, what you want me to know today. That's what we have become. Our ability to function, maintain, and progress without God. Well, that's at least what we tell ourselves by the monuments that we put up. At this part, I see Saul as Proverbs twelve fifteen sees him. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth the counsel is wise. God gave him every opportunity to repent. And Saul is so full of himself. God gives us instruction and counsel and direction through his word and through his small voice. And even cries to us, perhaps through preaching. And when we turn our hearts away from his will, the outcome is terrible. But it is true. Turn in your Bible briefly, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 1. I want you to see this play out in God's book through the wisest man that lived. Proverbs chapter 1. I want you to see this. Now, remember, he that hearkeneth the counsel is wise. And we're talking about God's instruction here, all right? So don't lose that thought. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 23, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit into you, and I will make known my words unto you. That, that's God saying, listen, turn, repent, change. Not just change your mind, but have a change of heart. And when that happens, you're going to change directions. And as you come to me, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. I'm going to give you words of life. They're going to be a light and a lamp. And you can go that way for sure. I just want you to turn at my reproof. By the way, not all counsel is happy counsel. He that loves you is going to correct you. And we're not supposed to despise the correction of the Lord according to the Bible. So when God corrects us, what are we supposed to do? Turn. Now look down at verse 25. But you have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. So this is the result. So I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Why? For that they hated knowledge and did not choose, big word to highlight in the Bible, the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. If you could sum up the rest of Saul's life, it's right there. You're going to, you're, we're going to study it. You're going to look at Saul's life and go, are you kidding me? God was very clear in 1 Samuel 12, 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. That lasted for just two years. Then after two years, Saul was too big for his bridges. He outgrew humility. And God, after this chapter, is going to say, we're done. He's going to take the Spirit of God off of Saul. He's going to put it on David. And in exchange, Saul gets an evil spirit. And Saul goes bananas. And you're going to see the life of someone that rejects the Word of God and refuses the will of God and the calamity that comes to follow. His heart was so hard that when Samuel gave the final word, all Saul could think of was himself. Go back, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 24. Now watch this. At first glance, when you read this first line, you go, oh, there it is. Saul's finally come to his spiritual senses. And then he reveals it, that it's really not. In verse 24, and Saul said, after all this, God's rejected me. Saul said unto Samuel, okay, I've sinned. 
I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now he's getting closer to the truth, but he's still not, he's not in repentance yet. And here's why you know that. Verse 25. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Look up here. Samuel can't forgive sins. He didn't ask God to pardon his sin. He asked Samuel. Now, listen to me. You may come from a background that has taught you that you could talk to a man and a man can forgive your sins. Only God can do that. Watch verse 26. Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king. And as Samuel turned about to go the way, he, that is Saul, laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel looked at him and said, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to thy neighbor, I'm sorry, given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, this is Saul, Okay, I've sinned. Now this is the second time he says it, but notice the follow-up line. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with thee that I may worship the, the Lord thy God. Who is Saul still consumed with? Saul. What's he trying to do? He's trying to save face. Here's what I want you to write in your Bible or in your notes somewhere. Regret is not repentance. Regret is not repentance. Look, we sin and we need to regret it. It needs to feel awful. But that's not repentance. Regret can turn to self-pity. And all of a sudden, it's, yeah, we're regretting and we want someone to console us while we've not repented. Saul wants to save his face, not change his heart. He wants people to still think that Samuel's on his side. He wants people to still think that God is with him, though he's been in disobedience. Oh, I can still live in the will of God even though, no, 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 that's not how it works. Why? Because Saul, according to God, your rebellion is this witchcraft. It's idolatry, and you're the idol. You've decided to worship yourself. How did Saul get to, how did Saul get from 1 Samuel 12 to 1 Samuel 15, 17? By refusing when God was calling to him. By saying, I don't want the counsel. I don't like the fact that I've been caught. I don't like this feeling. I don't like what's going to happen if people think that you're not with me. So will you at least save my image if you can't save my heart? Is hypocrisy that much valued? And that's where Saul is. We see Saul's heart was hard. And I want you to see number four and then we're done. It's God's heart that was broken about it all. You see, when we say that Obedience means a lot to God. It does. And disobedience does. And the Bible reveals that it obviously didn't mean a whole lot to Saul as much as it did God. I think it's safe to point it, safe to say at this point that when a child of God is living in rebellion, the last thing on our mind is how it makes God feel. Do you agree with that? When we decide, as we've said before, we've blown it, and some of us have blown it big with God. The last thing on our mind at that point is how it makes God feel. Saul only cared about how it made him feel. The last thing on his mind. I remember being in a men's retreat when God was calling 
and leading me to go to Bible college. And one of the preachers was giving an illustration about disobedience. He said that one night, though his dad had told him to be home by a certain time, that he decided to break curfew with his buddies and stay out many, many hours throughout the night, living it up with his buddies against his father's will. And he got home close to dawn. And as he walked into the house, his father was sitting in the living room, had been up all night, worrying and waiting. And while he was there, he was contemplating what he was going to do to his son when he got home. When he walked in the door, as his father was sitting there, there was no remorse to the son whatsoever. When asked, he simply told him, I just decided to stay out with my friends. When he, what he said after that, I'm never going to forget. He said his father took a whip that he used to train horses with, and he said, I want you to come with me. They walked quite a ways back to the back fence of their farm. And there, while the son was peering over the hills of this Michigan farm, the father taught the son a lesson. The father took the whip and he handed it to his son. And he turned and he grabbed the fence post with both hands. And he said this, I want you to take that whip and I want you to lash me on the back until I say stop. He said, because at this moment, you could not hurt me any more than what I've experienced in your brazen rebellion to my love as a father. When he said that, I'm telling you, a room of 200 guys, we were done. If there was something we learned right there in that message, that was, man, obedience is a big deal to God. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't, it doesn't please him. And we can say that in a kind of a, in kind of a, uh, in a simplistic way, it just doesn't please God. It does more than not please God. It killed him. It breaks his heart. Verse 11, the Bible says, Samuel was told by God. First Samuel chapter 15, Samuel said unto, oh, I'm sorry, first Samuel 15, 15 verse 11. Verse 10, then, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, notice these words, it repenteth me. That I have set up Saul to be king. For he's turned back from following me and have not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried unto the Lord all night. You know what that tells me? That tells me that you can actually have a close relationship with God. So that when sin breaks God's heart. It can also break yours. And it wasn't even Samuel's sin. It wasn't that Samuel had this tie to Saul. It was that he had a tie to God. And when God's plan went awry because of the decision that Saul decided to go against the word of God and and Samuel sensed the heart of God being broken, it hurt his. Verse 11 is not an indication of some kind of changing in God's nature. Don't, Don't misread the Bible. Rather, that word repent there is an expression of the sorrow of God's heart over sin. It's used in another portion of Scripture, in Genesis chapter 6, when the evil heart of man's imagination was only evil continually. Before God destroyed the world, people say, how could God destroy the world and be so callous? Oh no, don't get me wrong, God is not pleased that any of the wicked should perish, according to the Word of God. The Bible says it repented the Lord that He had made man of the earth, and it grieved Him, at his heart. 
This does not imply an uneasiness in God, of course. Instead, it expresses his holy displeasure against both sin and sinner. Against sin because it is repulsive to his holiness and against the sinner because of rebelliousness to his his justice. Scripture tells us a lot about how sin affects God. In Amos 2 and verse 13, the Bible says that God is pressed under our sin. In Isaiah 43 and verse 23, God is wearied by our sin. In Ezekiel chapter 6 and verse 9, God's broken because of our sin. In Psalm 95 and verse 10, again, God is grieved by it. Repentance in God is not as it is in us, and you need to remember that. A change of his mind is not what's in play here, but a change of his method. It repents me that I have made him king. It repents me that these people who I've created have gone against me. So what happens? I'm going to change my method. I'm going to use Noah and destroy them all. I'm going to take my hand off of Saul, and I'm going to change it and put it on David now. Watch. I'm going to put all of the world's sin on Jesus Christ, and I'm going to change now how I'm going to deal with people. I'm going to deal with them now by grace and mercy. I am going to change the way that I deal in dispensation. After this portion of Scripture, Saul is set aside by God, and God sets out to find and use someone else because Saul has become unusable. Why? Because God was looking for repentance, and all he found was idolatry. He was looking for repentance, and all he found was a harder heart. Saul would never recover spiritually. From this day until his death, he would spiral out of control because he, because he never got over himself. Never. He never came to agree with God about his sin. Now, that's the ugliness of disobedience. That's why God says, if you look back down in verse 22 of our text, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. And he describes exactly why. Can I ask you this morning, is there something breaking God's heart in your life? I I, I don't mean to be unkind, but is there something that we need to change the way we listen to the displeasing of God and saying, it's not displeasing God's heart, it's breaking his heart. Because there's something I haven't surrendered There's something in his word that I've rejected. There's a portion of his will that I've not completed. And I've been blaming other people for it. I've been justifying why I haven't surrendered. Perhaps this morning you and the Lord could come together and reason a while. Though your sins be as scarlet, they could be washed white as snow. You could go back and be plunged again, not for the sake of salvation, hallelujah for that, but go back and say, God, I have. I have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. And I know that I've hurt you. I know that I should have, but I didn't, and I have been. As the Lord asks for all and you've given him some, you see, as followers of Christ, I pray that our obedience to God would be as important to Him, uh, important to us as it is to Him. That we would say, Lord, it, it really is better in my home that I obey. 
rather than go to church and sacrifice. God, it's really, really better in my job that I obey rather than sacrifice. God, it's really better in my marriage that I obey rather than sacrifice. It's really better. Maybe you could say it like I say it. God, I, I'm, it's better that I stop rebelling. God, I've been in rebellion, and I so need your forgiveness. Aren't you thankful for the cross of Calvary this morning? God, we sure love you, and we thank you for loving us so, so, so much that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life because you've not sent your Son into this world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and I'm so thankful for those words. God, as I think of those words, I know that I'm included in the all. And Lord, if that's true, and it is, then when you ask for obedience, the word all still means the same. So, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and in the quietness of this moment, we plead with you, search us, O God, and know our heart. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in us. And then, Father, by your precious and sweet Holy Spirit, would you please lead us in the way everlasting. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as Jenna begins to play the invitation, I wonder this morning if there's some reasoning that needs to go on in your heart with the Lord. Nobody's looking. We've done this the last several weeks. I want to encourage you with this. First of all, if you're here and you're lost, you don't know the way to heaven. You don't know for sure if you died today that you'd be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you'd like to know. You'd like to be saved today, according to the Bible. I'd like to be born again. God's been speaking to my heart. I've been rejecting His leading, but today I realize I need to be saved. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand real quick? Nobody else is looking. I need to be saved today. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Anybody like that? Innocently, sweetly before God. I'm not saved I know God knows it. I know it. I need to be saved. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Anybody like that? Real quick. Christian, could I just ask you this morning, would you please, for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, reason together with God? What part has not been totally destroyed? What part has not been totally surrendered? What part of the will of God has not been completed? 